0: so maybe we'll discuss a little bit actually today there are various different kinds no, thank you. various different kinds of miracles um, sometimes there are miracles that are very obvious like the entire nature stops like something uh say like the sun instead of going it's regular routine, will all of a sudden stop and doesn't go. That would be total but that would be total defiance of nature. Um, That would be breaking nature, sort of. um, um, And of course, there's nothing beyond God's capacity to do. God can break nature because he is the one that creates nature. On one hand, the fact that the sun goes every day through the same the same motion, that in itself is a sign of the greatest miracle that things take place exactly in the same order, the same way, on a consistent and uh, constant basis. So that's that that that's another expression of Hashem's uh, miracles. But that's a miracle which is the nature miracle. But then stopping nature would be a miracle because that would be going against the nature which Hashem has. Implemented in the world. And then you have miracles which are dressed up in nature, which means that it is miraculous, but um, the tools that are used are used natural tools. And to what extent the tools are used, and to what extent is the miracle that we've seen, that is. Depends on how much we open up our eyes and how much we're allowed to see. Because really, all of our lives, in essence, is a great miracle. The only thing is that a lot of times we don't pay attention. We don't stop and think about it. And we don't attribute it to Hashem. But if you um, really uh, look closely, then you will be able to see that, you know, general life in general, in your own life, there are so many miracles. But let's take, for example, you know, we're talking about now. Uh, everybody is uh, really astounded by the fact that they shot over one thousand missiles in Israel, and they've landed. Some of them have done minor or not really extensive, extensive, but some damages. But in all of these shootings, uh, there hasn't been bar Hashem, thank God, miraculously there hasn't been any any death from that. Now, we did have one death at the, somebody was coming uh, to distribute food at the help, the soldiers, and he was killed, he was hit by a, um, by a, uh, some, uh, maybe a tank, come on in. You know, what's interesting, they're not soldiers. They're that wasn't even, a, that wasn't a soldier, that was a, that was a, that was a, that was a civilian. Um, that was a civilian, but um, so the the total is 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 a great miracle. Now, trying to compare this during the uh, if you remember during the Gulf War, also Iraq used to send its missiles towards Israel at the time, so uh, and they shot. Many, many, many missiles at Israel, and also miraculously, I mean, there were a few casualties. There was some, but relative to the expecting, it, did, it didn't really happen. It was, and then the strange thing is, that in one time they shot it into some barracks where the United States uh, soldiers were stationed, and over 200 American soldiers were killed, unfortunately. So. If you shoot, uh, so one want to say like that. Okay, if you shoot a thousand missiles and nobody gets killed on Israel, and you shoot three missiles on another country and five hundred people get killed, and you try to compare this, then you say, "Hey, listen, what are the chances?" So you say, "Well, over here it missed; it didn't; it didn't hit." But one needs to uh, come to the conclusion that wow, you know, Hashem is. Is making a miracle over here? Mm-hmm. Now, one can ask, "Well, why doesn't make a miracle? They shouldn't shoot any uh, yeah. altogether." But that would be, in a way, a, a miracle that defies nature. But this is a miracle with is within nature, which to a certain degree is even a greater miracle. The um, problem is if we don't recognize it. You, know, you do, well, but so, but always, but if this the is a case. Always give them money, and the one time the parent says no, it's like what? It <laughs> <laughs> is true. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I don't know exactly um, you know what Hashem's I don't know exactly what Hashem has in mind or what his uh, what his calculations are but it's certainly um, we have to give thanks and and and, and realize that this is a miracle now if you take a look for example what was the miracle of, of, of Purim say Okay, what was the miracle of Purim? And uh, you take a look over there too. You see that. Okay, so one one can argue they sent Queen Esther. She was uh, she was beautiful. The king loved her. He marries her, and you know, and uh, she intercedes on the Jewish people and the and the king Achashverosh, not being the the brightest uh, person. He changes his mind back and forth, and now he goes and kills Haman and everything else and lets the Jews defend themselves, the Jews have salvation. So one can argue and one can say, well, this is not a miracle. Why is that a miracle? They just, you know, everything happened. But all these circumstances to take place um, and the end result that what we're up against, you know, you have to say that this was this was miraculous. However, it's like I said, it wasn't a miracle where God stopped the sun from moving but it's a miracle in which it's dressed up in 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 nature and the end result is actually what's the most important to us is our safety now i know of course the people that actually live there and it's very very hard i always feel hard you know we sitting here in america and baruch hashem you know we're eating our meals and we're having our vacations. We're enjoying the good weather. I mean, besides today's raining a little bit, but it's everything is so nice. And you know, we're we're really having a good time. And yet, we have people with children, parents with children. They are they are, to say the least, inconvenienced, But they are afraid, you know. And there is. Uh, and there's perhaps some long-term damage also. I mean, we're saying that they're not being affected, but who knows, you know, children that run, that experience this kind of hardship, that's something maybe that will affect them for the rest of their lives. It could be some, some psychological, some emotional, who knows what it could do to a person. And so it's not a, it's not a picnic out there. It's not something which is... Uh, in, but so it's hard for us who are sitting over here I mean, if we have children over there who we are very close with, so I guess in that case it's a little bit, uh, it hits home a little more because, you know, your own kids. But like that, you know, it's happening over there, it's not over here. And I think that's something which is important to us that we should actually feel, we should try as hard as we can to be part and to be part of Claudia Sirol. If they're going through a hardship, I mean, we should we should try very hard to work on ourselves that we should feel their pain and we should feel their worry and the the i think the 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 biggest thing is that we see that these people they are ready they want israel to do the right things to they're ready to suffer they're not they're not demanding uh israel to stop shooting to do to they 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 are all united looks like as generally maybe there's exceptions but by and large the people over there are willing to take this discomfort and this inconvenience of themselves and to try to get rid of the problem once and for all, to, to, to somehow resolve this by wiping out Amalek. You know, it doesn't seem to be that there is a, um, much of a, uh, of a choice here. It's interesting, we read, in this is two, um, two weeks ago, we read in the Parsha, we read about two enemies of the Jewish people. We read it about Balak and about Bilam. So, and both of these, Balak Bo- and Bilam, they were enemies of the Jewish people, and they hated them. But if you look in the verse, I'm not going to go through all the nuances, the differences, but you'll, you'll, you'll see that Balak, it says in the parts, he was afraid. He was afraid of the Jewish people. He was afraid they were coming to conquer his land. They were taking away his land, so he was afraid of them. He was looking away to deter, to get the Jews off his back. So, basically, he had a uh, a reason why he hated the Jews, or he had a reason why he wanted to keep the Jews away from him, because he was afraid they're going to conquer him. They're going to take over his land, so he was afraid of them. But the truth of the matter is. Hashem has already instructed the Jewish people that the land of Moab they should not, uh, they should not conquer. So they knew that the Jews are not, the truth Hashem has told the Jewish people, the Jewish people knew that they cannot conquer the land of Moab. God forbade them from conquering the land of Moab. But one can argue that Balak, the king of Moab, he didn't know that. He thought that the Jews are coming. And when you see the description of the Parshi he says, well, they're going to uproot us as the ox, ox uproots what it eats. It, it's going to be a total destruction. So the verse expresses that he was concerned. So we understand why he was looking, why he hated the Jews. But then you have, on the other hand, you have Bilam. Now Bilam was a prophet. And Bilam knew that Hashem told the Jewish people that they're not going to conquer Moab. So... Instead of telling Moab that, you know what, don't be afraid, the Jews aren't going to do anything to you. They don't want anything from you. They're not going to do anything to you and they are, uh, they're just going to pass on the side and they're not even going to go into your land. So you have nothing to worry about. But he said no. He knew that they weren't going to hurt him. But he just hated them because he hated them. It was just hate plain and simple like an anti-Semite he just hated the Jews he hated them more than, than Balak so the, the difference between Billam and Balak Bolog is Balak was afraid of something and Billam just hated them so Billam didn't care uh, there was no reason there was no way uh, that the Jews can uh, sort of appease him he just hated them so we find ourselves in a similar situation I think now with the enemies you know Sometimes they come up with a rationale and they say, okay, we want, uh, we want some of the land, it's our, it's our land, we were chased off of the land, Israel has taken away us, uh, they have displaced us, they have put us out, uh, they have caused us all these stories. So, okay, so some of it is a reason. But we know throughout the, uh, the history of the state of Israel, uh, Israel has constantly tried to work out some sort of a deal, some sort of a compromise, to, let's see if we can work it out, if we can can sort of live side by side Uh, and as the Rebbe would say frequently the greatest miracle is that they didn't want to accept what Israel offered them you know, they, they offered them, half of Israel they offered them, and they wouldn't take it so, if they would take it it would have been, as we see what happened with the Gaza, that Israel vacated it, and now they're shooting missiles from there, you know, that's what so they didn 't want to take it, so okay, so it's not what they want they want us the these Hamas and those groups is they want us in the water they don 't want us in israel at all it's not it's not about compromise it 's not about working out things it's not about living in it and it's the truth of the matter is it's a society of hate of bigotry it's a society of that just wants uh and they're living in a in a delusional state. You know, they they this is how they grow. This is how they think, and this is how this is how their logic works. Actually, their logic works different than our logic does. To them, this is the way they see. It's it's very hard to sort of uh, negotiate or find or find the mutual ground if they're not looking for ways to work things out. All they want is to achieve their goal. Now. It seems to me maybe again, uh, again I, I don't understand these things really, but I'm just suggesting that here you see Israel offered them uh, like a ceasefire now and wanted to stop. Stop. They accepted the ceasefire. They didn't accept. I'm thinking that this is actually Hashem's working also for the benefit of Israel. Just like we was mentioned before, that they offered them and they didn't want to take. Israel offered them. A ceasefire they didn't want to take. I think Hashem is basically saying that this is a molik that we got to eradicate once and for all. You know, as much as we try to to, to, to work it out, they don't want to work it out. And even after being beaten, and they were beaten, you know, now they don't care about those two hundred civilians or hundred whatever these civilians. To them, life has no value. We saw when the uh, Jewish. Teenagers were killed, were kidnapped and killed. They were rejoicing. They were dancing in the street. They were uh, making heroes out of the people who did that. And look at the contrast. You know how the Jewish people <coughs> behaved when it was a Palestinian child that was killed. So you see, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a very different uh, society, and it's something that maybe Hashem wants us to eradicate them, like with, um, like with uh, the story with uh, with Hamolik. You know when. Uh, doesn't they there's no way that they can we can coexist because what they're trying to do is if they are around uh, they will keep on shooting at us and if we don't once and for all get them out of there and just somehow get rid of them and that may be a, a costly and a very uh, difficult uh, I don't think that, the leadership in Israel, and I don't think anybody really is looking for wars. I mean, everybody wants to live in peace. Nobody wants to all of these distractions. So I don't know. You know, we 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 learned in this portion this week. We learned also about the war that took place with the with the enemies. Um, in this case, it was the Midianite, and uh, as you know, the Midianite caused the uh, Jewish people to sin by allowing their Daughters promiscuous behavior together uh, with the uh, with the Jewish with the Jewish men, and they said, "Well, you can't win them at the battlefield." Okay, if you cause them to sin, then you know Hashem will 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 help you. Then you know, like, and you know, Bilam is also the same thing. I I I, I like to uh, make the equation. You know, uh, Rashi points out. He says that Bilam has his power in his mouth because he can curse. Like that was his power he had the power to curse and um, so they were he brought against the Jewish people somebody as Rashi calls it from the Chazal, from our sages he has the power in his mouth so I say this is what the Arabs are doing, that's what the propaganda is about if they can't win in the battlefield, they're going to use propaganda to try to win the public opinion The people. so that's that's like the bilim trying to use the mouth, trying to use other kinds of, not winning the war, but um, just winning it in other ways. So Yeah, but in the end, he blessed the people. But God, well, So I'm thinking that Hashem, <laughs> they're great, I'm thinking this will actually be a, a big blessing. Hashem, this will be a blessing for us because I think that as we've seen historically now that we beat them. So, you know, you can't beat somebody who's a suicide, a jihadist, uh, suicidal people, they're, their whole culture is because they're beaten. So what is? So you you get it. So the people are suffering, but they don't care about people suffering. So it's not something that touches them. It's not something that is going to motivate them to stop because there's innocent people getting killed. They're putting the innocent people right there. So because they know that Israel is cautious and trying not to hit them. So they don't care about this. So such an enemy, you can't just win normally. They were, they're almost like the Japanese, you know, in, in World War II. I mean, these are, they're ready to 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 die and get killed and don't care anything else what happens. And that's a very, very difficult thing. So I, I'm thinking, you're saying, Bill and bless them. I'm thinking that the Abish is maybe giving us a blessing that they don't want to accept the ceasefire. And they're trying to use Balaam's tactics of using the mouth to propaganda. Maybe it's going to turn. I mean, if we need, I mean, we need we need the world to support us also to a certain extent. Not to over. We have to do what we have to do regardless because it's our lives and it's at stake. So we can't look for the approval or the opinion from from uh, America or the Western world or any other leaders. It's not what we look for, but. Still, it helps us um, wage the war against them because the leadership in Israel is worried about what everybody else says and they're always concerned. So if we can have a little bit more support, it'll help our Israeli leadership to not be so worried about what the world is saying and to be able to do what what needs to be done. Again, like I said before, it's, uh, you know, we have soldiers fighting, young kids are, uh, young Jewish children are there at war, and you know they're giving their lives away for, for all of us, for all the Jewish people. And we were in, uh, uh, we were in Los Angeles, and we visited the Simon Wiesenthal Center for Tolerance over there. And I gotta tell you, amazing. what you was there, was there. and yeah, they have the sound and sight show over there, which, which very vividly demonstrates. Gives you know, just a brief history, and uh, you know, you come out of there really shaken up, you know, seeing, you know, once again what happened, but, and then you you see what Israel has done for the Jewish people, you know, again despite what all the um, some of the Haredim, some of the people are against Israel and everything else, but you see how the fact that Hashem had uh, mercy and gave us a place that we can fight back, you know instead of that we can try to protect our children, that we can try to protect our families. So, again, it's not uh, not to say that the Israeli government is running the thing the way they should, that, that they're running, and uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, they attribute a lot of their success to their power and their might, which is which we see it's Hashem. You know, we know that if Hashem doesn't help, it doesn't... Uh, it's, not, uh, it's, not, it's not... It's not my power. They call it the kipat barzel, it's amazing, the metal, kipat barzel. It's amazing that uh, in the Tochacha, in the rebuke, actually they talk about the uh, sky being out of metal. Over there it's used as a rebuke that the rain won't come down, it'll be metal. <laughs> it Rafa Ruff, sent a photograph of a hand coming out of the sky. She just, she just oh, showed it. it. She, she had it. Showed she sent it. it to you. If you did. <laughs> it's, a, it's a hand. They showed that picture, that paragraph? And it's covering... It's no, a, yeah. it has it has Israel. Take a look. Is that this maybe? No. Th- is that it? No. That's another one. That's another one? So the hand, but that was just somebody who created that picture? I think. Oh. okay. Is this, this is supposed okay. to be real. Uh-huh. So it's actually the way. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. So. Let's learn a little bit, also a little bit about the Pasha. This is, uh, you know, we're all mm-hmm. we're all in uh, for Eretz Yisrael, and um, and it, it, you know, I don't know how to express myself. You know, we say Tehillim, we d'kstadavim to mitzvahs, and personally, I'm always looking at the news, see. <laughs> I want to, you know, want to, you know, it's, it's something which is important to us. You know, it's like um, we care about it, and so hopefully that we'll be able to hear only good news. And um, what good news? For you? Good news would be that the Jews can live in peace. How the Ebershta will, will, uh, will orchestrate it, uh, I leave up to the Ebershta, you know, it's hard for us to know. We don't know exactly what the best way. I, I would, to me, personally, at this age, when I was younger, I would probably say differently. At this age, I would say I would like to see them stop fighting. That's what I would like to see but somehow. I thought, but then I would prefer... The yeah, they should be wiped out. But, you know, I... It's a conflict over sort of, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, but to wipe them out is not like you're saying, it's not like you're going to do wipe them out. The wipe is going to cost a lot of no, lives, a lot know, of soldiers. it's going to make that no soldiers will get, you know, like, yeah. hopefully. Because um, look how with thousands of, thousands, you know, like thousands of the rockets and machines. The so. They've been inculcated. Yeah. But that's what, but that's, you know, but she's saying, well, Mashiach will come, so that will solve all the problems. Okay. No, but Ad Tzu Yavoh. Yeah. To about the gun. Yeah, so the question is, like, so... When you're younger, I guess you would say, let's fight them and everything else. Don't, no. But at this point, I'd rather not see any, you know, the fact that you know, Baruch Hashem, you know, look, the, very few Jewish people have, this is like, miracles. I mean, miracles miracles. So we don't want to ruin that miracle that they've shown that by, but we may have to, I don't know. So that's what I'm saying. You're asking me what do I hope. <laughs> I hope to see that, that they can sit in peace, that nobody's going to uh, that they'll be able to re- return to their normal lives in Israel. That's the the long-term solution. That's another thing. You know, how do we deal with that? But the immediate solution is it's it's no good. I mean, and, and, and you know, houses are getting damaged. People are afraid they can't live life. You know, I mean, it's, it, it's it's 10 days already, but, you know, it's going to go longer, so it's going to be, <laughs> it's, it's getting it's more. The it's the longest, longest, yeah, it's the longest time. But by will, is it something that, Islam is the only religion that has the concept of El besides Judaism. In any Ishmael. But they sort of abuse it. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah, but maybe the long-range hope <coughs> <has coughs> will be one again. Under. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So we, we spend a lot of time now talking about this tradition because it's important to us, and I think that we should, um, we should all express our concern, and I hope maybe I later... I feel in the... like, maybe we can talk later, like, if you're concerned, concerned, what do you do? I feel like, you know, when you do Doing mitzvahs, that's what we're doing, getting together, learning a little bit, encouraging <clears throat> each other, doing as, you know, this, this is what it is, this is what, what we, that's what, this is what we can do, that's a sure thing. Um, <clears> the <throat> Rebbe especially emphasized that during the three weeks uh, we should actually study uh, more about the temple, more about the building of the Beis Amikdash. I mean, the Rebbe's idea was that um, this is the beginning of the um, the, the beginning of the process. We shouldn't despair. We shouldn't, we shouldn't bring us to inaction, to, in, to, 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 immobile, to make us immobile, to, to sort of throw in the towel. We're not here to mourn something old that happened to the place, say, oh, well, we lost it and that's the end of it. But rather, we're supposed to gain the courage and we're supposed to return to Hashem and we're supposed, we're supposed to do action, we're supposed to do something in order to um, to, to try to rebuild it. I, I remember it's an interesting uh, statement about you know, it says about um, when they it says that when, 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 when Yaakov met uh, met with, with, with Yosef uh, when they, after they were separated for such a long time and they met, it says that they cried uh, on each one's uh, neck we kind of, they cried at each other and why were they crying about so Rashi explains from our sages he says because uh, there was a um, um, actually this is not Yaakov. this is with Binyamin and Yosef and, and I'm talking about not Binyomin and Yosef that was when Binyamin came down uh, and it says why did they cry because they cried because of the different temples that wore. uh on each one's portion that were destroyed, so it says that Yosef was crying for uh, Binyamin's the temple that was in Binyamin's property on his portion of the land of Israel that was destroyed, and Binyamin was crying for for Yosef's uh, temple that was in his portion, and he was crying for that. So the Rebbe asked a very interesting question. He says, "But well, wait a minute. So why were they each one crying for the other one's temple? Why weren't they crying for their for their own temple? You know, I mean, they, you know, Yosef was crying." For Binyamin's temple, and Binyamin was crying for Yosef's temple, they should each one cry for their own. Now, of course, it's important to feel bad for another person and, and also uh, show uh, you know that you, you care about it, and it really touches you to the extent that you cry for him. But first and foremost, uh, you should you should cry for your own your own destruction. And the Rabbi says something very very interesting. He says if your own temple is destroyed, you got to do something about it. Don't cry. you got to build it. <laughs> somebody else's temple, you know, it's, it's somebody else's. You, know, you can't really do anything. So if you feel bad, you can cry for them. Don't cry for your own self. Do something about it. And, you know, that's, that's brought out also the, somebody brought out an uh, interesting uh, word that, you know, you see that um, uh, Moshe Rabbeinu uh, at the end of the day, Moshe Rabbeinu, he, he he, taught the Torah and everything else, but what does he have at the end of the day? Hashem says, well, no, your children will not be your the leaders, and Moshe Rabbeinu, basically, it was Moshe Rabenu, and then later on, it finished, but then when you come, like, to to Pinchas, he says, Pinchas, Ben Elazer, Aaron, his children, the kahuna, they have constantly, the coins, all the coins come from iron, from Pilchus, these were Kohanim, they remained. they gave it over to their children, so how could it be Moshe Rabbeinu who was sort of the greatest, he didn't leave anything his leadership, his greatness, nobody somebody else took it over, Joshua, Yeshua you know, it didn't stay with him, but uh, Yeshua he's the one that um, continues and and, and the Rebbe says in the Sikha, he says that Moshe Rabbeinu was Mostly philosophically, he was. He was a great. He was teaching. He taught us Torah. That Moshe Rabbeinu taught us Torah. So nobody else stood up as great as Moshe Rabbeinu. So it was Moshe Rabbeinu who remained. But uh, Yeshua, he was a warrior. He went out to fight the war. He did. So he did action. It wasn't just he took everything that he learned. He took everything that he. Uh, that he knew and that he heard and Pibchas especially, we talk about Pimchas Pimchas took action, he saw something going wrong, he went and he did something about it, so if you do something about it and you don't just, it's not sh- academics, it's not just remained in the theory, in the level of learning, then that has a lasting effect, but I want to say in a way you see it, uh, the benefit is different uh, see, in, also in the parsha it says, Moshe Rabbeinu says to uh, Hashem says in this parsha, He says that after you have the war with the midnight, then you're gonna die. He says so. He has to have the war in the midnight. So before Moshe Rabbeinu dies, we learned last week's parsha. Moshe Rabbeinu says to Hashem, He says, Hashem, I want you to appoint a person who can tolerate all these Jewish people. You know, they've mm. been born such as you can tolerate. They have such different minds and different ideas, and they make somebody who can sort of lead them all who can sort of take care of them. And you know, he also asked maybe that his children. So a leader like Moshe Rabbeinu, he doesn't want that there should be a void. He doesn't want that there should be the Jewish people after he, his demise or he passes away, there should be nobody left to lead the Jewish people. He wants to make sure there's somebody gonna end up going to lead the Jewish people. So we find when Moshe Rabbeinu was, was, was going with Aaron in the, uh, in the cave, when Aaron died, his brother Aaron died. So Moshe Rabbeinu said to Aaron, he says, look, he says, you are putting on your garments of the Kohen Gadol to your son, so you are seeing that somebody's taking over your place. But he says, I don't have that. He says, I don't have anybody to take me over. So he says, you're lucky. So what was Moshe Rabbeinu saying? Moshe Rabbeinu was actually looking for somebody to take over, somebody to be there in his position, just like he led the Jewish people. Because the real Jewish leader doesn't leave, doesn't want to leave a void after his passing. So he was asking Hashem. And Hashem told him to make Yeshua. So I was thinking to myself, and uh, you know, I love, I was thinking about the Labavitcher Rebbe, you know, we just had 20 years since Rebbe's passing. So I was, I was thinking, so the Rebbe, knew the Rebbe knew what was going on the Rebbe knew his age and he knew what was going on so well, you can only imagine well, what, what did the Rebbe what did the Rebbe think the Rebbe was saying to Hashem Hashem who's going to lead them after after Gimel Thomas? I mean who's going to be the one that's taking care of them you know you're leaving them just like that and you know the Chabad tradition We've had Rebbe's, seven Rebbe's for seven generations. There's never been, there's been a few years in between, but there's always been a Rebbe over there, unlike the breast of the Hasidim, which don't have a Rebbe for hundreds of years. But in Chabad, there's always been a Rebbe. Not a Rebbe, a Rebbe in real life. It's been in, in, in the physical body. In this world, there's been always a Rebbe. And this is the first time. So you can only imagine that the Rebbe was saying to Hashem, or he was dawning, he said, Hashem, appoint somebody that can lead this community. And the Rebbe created a, a worldwide community with leadership, unparalleled. He wants somebody to... So the Rebbe said, like Moshe Rabbeinu, he's saying to, to Aaron, he says, He says, I don't have that privilege like you do. You have somebody to live over, the kahuna Gadola. you're giving it to your kids, They it The Rebbe didn't have kids, that was for a reason too. He didn't have physical children. So he's saying to the Rebbein Shalom, he was saying, I don't have, and believe you me, if Rebbe had a candidate, even remotely possible, (laughs) to take over, he would have pointed him. But there wasn't anybody, even anyone to talk of, you know, there wasn't anybody to talk of. So he's basically saying to Hashem, I don't have the privilege to, to, I don't have who to leave over, what do I do? But, here on lies actually the benefit. Because what it really means at the end of the day, is that Moshe Rabbeinu remains Taka with us. So Taka, there is no other. By Moshe Rabbeinu, because you have to say, what was Moshe Rabbeinu? Moshe Rabbeinu was jealous of Aaron. Why, why would he jeal, really jealous of Aaron? But Moshe Rabbeinu was sort of saying, you know, I want somebody to be there physically. Hashem says, well, no, that's not my plan. Uh, your children are not going to take you over, so there is nothing mo- mo- what you can do about it. But that's why we still remain connected to Moshe Rabbeinu. So there was nobody else taking over. So Moshe Rabbeinu, who was the Rabbeinu then, still remains our Moshe Rabbeinu. There's nobody to take over. So it turns out that Moshe Rabbeinu's request of Hashem to appoint a leader, maybe that went unanswered, you know. Hashem uh, says, I don't have any other leader. you the- but to us, the Rebbe remains our leader still. So notwithstanding the fact that there's nobody in the physical body over here, but he remains our Rebbe. If there was a physical Rebbe like there was in the other generation, he would have been replaced by something, by someone, by somebody else. But in this case, this is the Moshe Rabbeinu, and This is our connection. This is and this is our Rebbe that we stay with. So I got totally sidetracked today, and in other things that uh, warranted. But let's just take a very short point over here of the Parsha that I wanted to give over from the Sikha. And this, this this deals with the, with a general question. Um, you know the, the the portion of this week opens up with the laws of vows uh, of, of, of 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 a a person making a vow. But when you think of it. A vow is, is, is a very, very powerful thing. What am, why, why am I saying that? Because, you know, we have 613 mitzvot. Now, who, who gives us all the mitzvot? Why do we do mitzvot? It's because God told us how to connect to Him, right? We, we connect Him, So we must do the mitzvot that Hashem has told us to do. Hashem gives us the mitzvahs and we're supposed to obey those mitzvahs. We're supposed to connect to Hashem through those mitzvahs. Those are channels and vehicles of our connection and our relationship with God is through the mitzvahs that He commands us. God is infinite, we're finite. Mitzvah connects the infinite with the finite. We connect with a Kodesh Baruch Hu. Great. But now we have one exception to that. Now, can we make a mitzvah? In other words, the mitzvah, can we make a mitzvah ourselves? We should do the mitzvah. And here comes the Torah tells us in this week's parsha that we can make a mitzvah. What does it mean? If you make a vow. So, one will say, you make a vow. You say, I'm not going to drink any wine for 30 days. Just give you for an example. So you make a vow, I'm not going to drink any wine for 30 days. So who says that you have to do this that what you said? So you made a vow. It's not a mitzvah. What is? It? So the mitpust says Good, good, we're going to discuss that in a second. It says, kechol uh, mipi yas What When out of your mouth you must do. So the Torah makes it into a mitzvah to keep your vow. The Torah says you've got to keep a vow, because otherwise the Torah didn't say you have to keep a vow. You can say, I said I'm not going to drink wine, so who says, no, I can drink wine, I've said so, I said. Who gives it Validity. Who gives it strength? Who gives it force? Who says that if I said that I'm going to not drink wine, I'm not supposed to drink wine? The Torah says that. And if I violate that, and there's a carbon, there's all the different things we bring. We made up that you, you brought upon yourself that mitzvah. That's a mitzvah which the person brings, makes, brings, brings upon yourself. This whole idea of a person bringing upon themselves a mitzvah you know, so, in, in essence, the mitzvah would, could be also uh, demonstrated in the positive. It's all based on that. Generally, when a, you make a promise, uh, whether it's a promise to another person, it's a promise that you make to Hashem, you make a promise to give to tzedakah, you make a promise, whatever promise you make, it's basically, generally speaking, it's based on the verse in this parasha. It says, as It goes out from your mouth, you must do. So there's a mitzvah. The Torah says a mitzvah to fulfill what you vowed. So this whole concept of a person obligating themselves, besides, you know, you can give tzedakah, give it or don't give it. What does it mean? I obligate myself to, to give tzedakah so that I must give tzedakah, and if I don't give it, then I'm violating it. That's a mitzvah. From the Torah, it becomes a mitzvah. It's not just the giving of tzedakah—it's the additional part—is the vow. It's the promise that we're saying that you, that you, that you do. Now, should a person? The question would be: Should a person ordinarily make promises, make vows? Uh, should a person? Now, as far as we we'll talk about tzedakah, this is also in halacha. It's in the Gemara it comes that it says it's better. Uh, it's actually a verse. Also, it says it's better to. Uh, to give and not without promising, than to promise and not to fulfill. It's good to promise and fulfill, but to promise and not fulfill, that's the, that's the worst part. So don't promise if you're not going to fulfill. There's a whole discussion about that. But we're talking about parsha mostly if you are denying yourself something. So you make a promise. You say, you know, I'm not going to drink wine, or I'm not going to enjoy something that I like to do, I'm not going to listen to music, or whatever it is. You know, Should a person, so it almost seems like, since the Torah is saying, you have a mitzvah, you said it, you got to keep it, it almost seems that it's something which is positive. Now, is it okay, is it a positive thing to deny yourself? So, you know, on one hand we find an expression, the Torah tells us a lot of things that we're not allowed to do. So, we're not allowed to do this. Shabbos, we can't do this. We're not allowed to eat this food. We're not, there's a lot of things we're not allowed to do. Okay, so those are things that the Torah clearly has told us don't do. Now, should I go ahead and say, okay, I'm going to add something, what I'm not supposed to do. Oh, I'm not going to drink wine. Is that a positive thing? Or So, we find an expression in the Shalmi What It says, it's sufficient what the Torah tells you that you shouldn't do. Don't go and add uh, more things to, because one should not look for additional mitzvahs if the Torah is given you and then listen to the Torah. But on the other hand, we see here the mitzvahs of vows. We also see uh, there's also this whole concept that a person, it says kedoshim to you, you shall be holy. Now what does it mean you shall be holy? How, how do you become holy? The Torah doesn't say uh, do the mitzvahs. The Torah says that too, but what is being holy in addition to doing the mitzvahs. What does it mean? How do you become holy more than just doing the mitzvahs? So the mitzvahs make you holy. What does it mean when the Torah tells you to become holy? According to some commentators, the meaning is, Kadosh Lach. According to the it means the Torah is telling you, no, there's the Torah mitzvahs, but then there's kiddoshim, there's holy meaning you can add to what the Torah tells you. Now, adding to the Torah is also problematic because we know that one is not supposed to add and one is not supposed to take away. So how do we reconcile all these different ideas of adding to the Torah? You know, one famous example is, right from the very beginning, uh, Rashi brings down from Adam and the snake, Adam and Eve and the snake, over there that when the snake uh, was discussing with with Eve, with Chava, Chava said to him, Hashem said not to touch the tree. But Hashem didn't say not to touch the tree. Hashem said not to eat from the tree. But she added she said don't touch the tree so he went so he went so the snake went and pushed her on the tree and nothing happened so he says look there's nothing gonna happen when you touch nothing gonna happen when you eat also so it turns out because she added to what hashem said so adding is is no good you're not allowed to add and you're allowed to take away we know that you can't add take away so what is all these things that when people make a vow it seems like they're adding They're, they're they're doing more than they what they expected and as the Rebbe explains it in the Sigha, like everything else, it really depends on the position, where you are, and what you're, where, where you're standing. You know, if a person is, a, generally speaking, a person going in the right way and is um, following the right path, and this is, by the way, what the Rebbe has told once, you know, the, the, uh, the Rebbe came out with a campaign that even Jewish girls, starting from the age of three, should start lighting their own Shabbos candles. And um, this was a tradition that it was in many homes, but in some homes, it was not the tradition. The tradition was only after they get married. So there was a lot of objection. You know, As soon as the Rebbe came out with a campaign, so some people objected because the Rebbe says so, they have to object to them. <laughs> but some objected based on their, their custom. Their custom was, and they asked the Rebbe, they said to the Rebbe, but well, Rebbe, this is not our tradition, what should we do? And the Rebbe said, but in your tradition, they didn't read the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal. They didn't sit and watch all kinds of TVs and read all kinds of novels and do all kinds of things. So if, if you change that tradition, In the negative, you can change it to the positive. You can do some more mitzvahs. You know, certain things, you know, change because you're doing other things today, which they didn't do in the olden days, and we need a little bit more, you know, a little more support. We need a little bit more help today, so we do it. So in this case, a person who's basically a a person does everything right in a a way, uh, in that case, it's not necessary for the person to take on additional... Uh, stringencies, uh, deny himself things, do extra, on the contrary. Because everything that God created in the world was for a purpose, to utilize it for the good. So if God created uh, fruits that are delicious, or wine, which which is good, and it's healthy for you and everything else, there's nothing wrong physically, so you shouldn't deny yourself. You know, the Torah is not for a person to deny himself, on the contrary. That may be considered a violation, a sin, for not... Enjoying, you know, the same thing is. There's a beautiful world out there. There is uh, nice things that are permissible, that are that are actually Hashem created this beautiful world. And when we look at the world, we see Marabu Masach Hashem. We come to the appreciation of the Creator for creating these wonderful, beautiful things. Then, of course, that is what the Rishonim talks about. That it's sufficient what the Torah is prohibited for you. Don't make any vows. Don't add to it. There is no reason for that. But then, unfortunately, as mentioned before, sometimes we are. Uh, fra- fragile human beings, and we were strayed. we made some mistakes. And we need extra support, we need an extra, sort of, uh, we need extra vitamins, we need extra shots. We can't just do it alone. When we feel sometimes that, you know, we're addicted and we uh, if we don't get some additional help, we don't restrain ourselves. So, if there's going to be a piece of cake on the table, I'm going to eat it. Why? I shouldn't, but I am. But if you don't bring it into the house, then, you know, should you not bring it into the house, then, you'll, then you won't, you will not going to eat it. Now, if you know that your condition is such that uh, that if it's going to be in the house, you're going to eat it, then for you, it's a mitzvah not to bring it into the house because that's the way for you to prevent. That becomes the fence around the toilet. That becomes the extra uh, nether, the vow. When we talk about a vow, same thing in the positive. Sometimes a person is afraid that maybe when the time to give Tzedakah, maybe he's going to um, you know have second thoughts. Maybe he's going to uh, change his mind. You know, usually it says that um, it says that you should go by your first thought because uh, you know sometimes you have a uh, the first thought is probably comes from a Tov, and then the Yetzer Hara sort of creeps in. So. You had a, a choice. You said that okay. You said you know what, I'm going to give to this organization five thousand dollars. I'm going to give. That's what you thought, and then oh, the next thought is you know what, five to one. Maybe I'll give one here, one here, and, and maybe I'll stretch it out. The first thought we know is you get to tov. The second thought is already coming to is the yetsa harder. Sometimes people need to make a promise while they're strong, uh, while they're strong, because that helps them later on. Do what they really want to do. So at the time later on, they're worried that maybe they're not going to be able to come through with what they with what they promised. So if you use vows, if you use the extra to become holy, what is permissible to help your struggle, in generally, you know, overindulgence in even permissible things. And we're talking about overindulgence, which means just uh, indulging in things just because it's tasty, just because it's physically uh, gratifying instantaneously. Generally speaking, doing it over again, that is sort of giving in to your temptation. So then later on, when you come really to something which you're not supposed to do, and if you're so used to giving in to yourself that whatever you need, you jump for it, you go for it right away, uh, then it's a little bit harder. If you learn restraint, if you learn self-control, if you learn that, so then, when it comes to real challenges, then you can do, show that too. Sometimes, you know, they say that some of the kids who grew up in, in homes that provide everything for them, they don't know how to handle any, any problems, you know. They go crazy because everything has been delivered on a silver platter. they never struggled, they never had to really do anything work for anything really hard, and they just got They learn to expect anything. And if there is a hardship or something, the reality of the world comes into play in many, many different areas. It doesn't only have to be financial. It's how to get along, shalom bayis, how to... And in, and in a million different cases, if you're used to just everything going your way, then you don't know. It's only about you. Then you don't know how to let another person in also, because you're just used to doing whatever it's you whatever gratifies and satisfies yourself and then you have that hardship so basically i guess the point of the general point of the sikh is like this everything depends upon this situation circumstances sometimes people need that extra boost and they in their condition they need the extra so they have to do whatever they need to do in order to help themselves to protect themselves that they can do what they have to do if it means that they have to go beyond and they have to deny themselves certain things that Hashem allows you to use, but that's the way that they can protect themselves and that's the way, you know, they know that, you know, they can't go on the internet so they shouldn't have the internet. And if they know that they're going to fail, then they shouldn't use it. And if they... So you have to be enough of yourself. You have to have enough desire to want to take control of your life and do what's right and stay connected with Hashem. And on top of that, asking Hashem for to Dishmaya for His help, it would always, uh, always helps the person, because Hashem says, if you open me up the size, the hole of a needle, the eye of a needle, and then I will open you wide as the doors of the, as the one which was exceptionally wide doors, of 20 amas by 20 amas, a really huge door. You've got to give Hashem a little bit opening and show Hashem that you want to do what's right. Then Hashem gives you the Kayak and the energy, And the motivation to go ahead and do what's right. So Hashem will help us that we should hear good news in Eretz Israel, in our Holy Land. We should uh, have these three weeks turned around. And the Rambam says that not only would there not be days of fast and mourning, but they'll become Yomim Tovim. they'll become holidays, they'll become. So there'll be celebrations. So we'll we'll celebrate these days, not only in the morning. So we hope that it'll happen uh, very speedily in our days, okay? Thank yeah. you.